and welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Peter Rosher, Global Head of Reed Smith's international arbitration practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. Welcome to our Women in Arbitration podcast mini-series, a platform for women's voices across the global international arbitration community. I'm Lucy Winnington-Ingram, an international arbitration lawyer based in Reed Smith's London office. In these episodes, we will hear from leading women in the international arbitration space and discuss industry news, trends, developments and matters of interest. And with that, let's get started. Embracing Equity in our dedicated International Women's Day Women in Arbitration podcast episode. This year's theme aims to get people talking about why equal opportunities are no longer enough. Equity is different to equality. It recognises that each person has different circumstances and allocates the exact resources and opportunities needed to reach an equal outcome. The episode explores the initiatives our lawyers are involved in that help embrace equity ways in which they try to incorporate Reed Smith's commitment to the ERE and ERA pledge in their practice, and what the biggest challenges are, be they perceived or real, to embracing equity in arbitration. They then share what other arbitration-wide initiatives they would like to see in the future, before closing with a celebration of their role models, who they believe best embody the Embrace Equity theme. And my first guest today, I'm very pleased to be here with Rebecca Mosquera a senior associate in our New York office who focuses on international arbitration. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Lucy, for having me today. And I'm really excited to be here to talk about equity for International Women's Day. So, Rebecca, my question for you today, then, what are some initiatives in which you have been involved that help embrace equity? So I am part of several initiatives which aim to promote diversity and embrace equity in international arbitration. The call has never been more necessary or urgent to embrace equity. And one of the reasons why I say that is because during the pandemic, women in the U.S. accounted for about 63.3% of job losses, and they have yet to recover. So some of the initiatives that I am involved in, especially in the ADR sphere, it's, um, they're very important to me, the work that they do, because we're trying our best to be some sort of help or alleviate this problem. So I am a board member of Arbitral Women, which aims to advance gender parity and promote women and diversity in international alternative dispute resolution. One of the many initiative that Arbitral Women has that I'm very proud of, it's the Diversity Toolkit. And this Diversity Toolkit offers a unique training program designed to help men and women see the role played by biases and explore ways to address and overcome bias and also embrace not only equality, but also equity. There is a a full-day seminar. We examine the value that diversity and equity brings to international dispute resolution. We see and understand bias in the workplace and in ourselves. What we can do to respond to bias and progress towards diversity, inclusiveness, and equity. And we, of course, offer practical tips 
and ways to promote diversity. Another initiative that I'm very involved in, I got involved with it as a, on a personal basis when it came out, was the ERA pledge, the Equal Representation and Arbitration. And I make an effort that every time we're putting lists of arbitrators together, I always find myself aiming not only towards women that uh, I know have the knowledge and the background, but also for me, it's more about diversity. And it's diversity is not only in gender, but in age and cultural background. And I say that because for me personally, equity, it's a very intersectional issue. And I say that because I'm not only a woman, I'm also Latina, I am an immigrant, I have an accent. And so for me, it has different elements. And I'm very involved in these initiatives because for me, for example, when I first moved to the United States years ago, almost 20 years ago, I, I had a, a very interesting job in where at some point during my review, my, my employer told me that I needed to work on my accent. But my accent, it's, it's part of me. It's part of my heritage. It's part of who I am. And it was never going to change. And so as a result of it, I was proposed to move to another position. And so at that time, I actually found another job. And things got better from there. <laughs> so for me, that's why it is so important. Also in terms of, because equity means giving people equal opportunities, right? It, regardless of background, regardless of accent, regardless of way, who they are, where they are, and where they come from. And so I am also an LLM. What does that mean? I have a master's in law from the United States. I am fully qualified to work in law in New York and in, in other states. And so sometimes in the past, people couldn't quite understand what we brought to the table. And what we bring to the table is we are multilingual. We have different manners of applying certain rules depending on a, our background. And it's, you know, sometimes lack of understanding of what we bring to the table that people don't really know where to place us. For me in the beginning, what's a real struggle to always ask for the opportunity. So I was not treated equally as if I was a first year associate, you know, from a three year program from the US. But in turn, I had six years of law school elsewhere, plus a master's and not my only master's. So that is why for me, embracing equity, it's so important, not only in the legal field, but in general terms in our, in our daily lives, because it is our background, where we come from, who we are, that really enriches our, our environment. Well, and that's why I'm very proud that we're doing this podcast and also that Reed Smith embraces equity and it's palpable. Thank you so much, Rebecca, and particularly for actually sharing some kind of personal insights into why this message is particularly important for you. I think you're, I mean, you're absolutely right that only really by embracing equity will we end up with a, the plurality of opinion and the diversity of arbitrators and viewpoints that arbitration needs. 
Rebecca, okay, so a closing question for you then. Who is a role model or mentor in your career that you feel best embodies the embrace equity message? I'll never be where I am at this stage in my career had it not been for the people around me, my team, my peers, my network, and friends. As such, I could not name only one role model. I can, however, mention a few. For example, Dana McGrath, now a former president of Arbitral Women and currently an international arbitrator. Aside from being a friend and mentor of sorts, it is due to efforts like hers that women nowadays have a place and platform in international arbitration. If it hadn't been for the efforts of Dana McGrath, Mires, Philip, Louise Barrington, and Louise Woods, to name a few, I don't think we'll have the support to be where we are. John Fellas, my first boss from when I started my journey as a U.S. attorney after having practiced in Panama. He gave me my, my first opportunity. He opened a door for me and offered me the opportunity to work my way up. He's one of those people that embraces equity. I remember one time we were at this conference in Europe, but I was part of an organization that was organizing this conference. And everybody came on stage and they were, of course, saying very important things. And then a woman came up as highly qualified as everyone else. And she was up there just to tell us some admin stuff. And he looked at me and he said, so why, Rebecca? She's the only woman up there. Where, where are the rest? And so he down on me for the first time, I think, of how, how he was really committed to, to giving not only women, but even younger generations like myself at that time, equal opportunity in this profession. So for that, I mean, until today, he is my mentor and a very good friend. Lastly, but not least, Gautam Bhattacharya. He is my current mentor at Reed Smith and one person that I think embodies embracing equity. If you listen to some of his podcasts, you can see the great work and the great efforts that he's put in, in trying to make uh, not only our, uh, the work a better place, but the world, I will have to say. He is a great person, and I am very happy to have him as my mentor. There are other several people I admire for their work. For example, Elizabeth Chan for her involvement in Web3 and other tech-related initiatives. Amanda Lee for her online initiatives like Careers in Arbitration and Art Balance. Orlando Cabrera for his extensive involvement with different initiatives and programs. Jadranka Jakovsik, who was one of my first mentees and is now one of my dearest friends in the profession. And I, I could go on forever. And Lucy, one of those people is you. So thank you so much for everything that you do. This environment, the, the international arbitration and the ADR fields are, are filled with amazing people. And I'm very happy to be part of it. Well, Rebecca, that's really lovely to hear. Um, and you know how highly I think of you as well and how glad I am that you've joined Reed Smith. So next up, I'm delighted to be here with Antonia Burt, a partner in our Dubai office. Antonia has been practicing in commercial arbitration matters in the Middle East for more than 12 years. And she's also currently co-chairing 
the Equal Representation Pledge in the Middle East. Antonia, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, delighted to be on board. So, Antonia, my question for you today is, how do you try to incorporate Reed Smith's commitment to the equal representation in expert witnesses and the equal representation in arbitration pledges in your practice? Uh, well, thank you very much for that question. And um, I've actually been helping with the equal representation in arbitration pledge from the very beginning when it was launched uh, by Sylvia Nouri in 2015. Um, and of course, the pledge seeks to increase the number of women appointed as arbitrators on tribunals. And the uh, ERIE pledge was launched just last year, the expert pledge, which uh, is a sister pledge. Uh, and it has a very similar aim, but in especially with respect to experts. So the aims are very much aligned and the um, results are also very much aligned in terms of uh, why we're doing this. And it's because diversity has been proven to lead to better decisions. So it's in everyone's interest, really. And I've assisted the pledge in various capacities over the last seven, eight years. And um, as you mentioned, uh, I'm currently co-chairing the MENA campaign for the pledge together with Professor Nela Obeid. As part of the role, we spend quite some time spreading awareness of the campaign, spreading awareness of best practices with respect to how you achieve more equality on tribunals than in arbitrations. So we're currently planning some exciting launch events in Saudi, Qatar and Bahrain. So watch this space. We are also pushing to get more corporates and that is users of arbitration to lead the change in this in this arena. And this is really particularly important because the pledge has been largely successful with uh, institutions institutions, arbitral institutions, have been selecting more women to tribunals uh, since the pledges launch. So many institutions have now improved their statistics from you know, the low teens to around 40% or so of women being appointed. Whereas parties are still very much lagging behind with appointments, often at less than 20% um, of women arbitrators being appointed. And that's why my focus this year is on corporates and raising awareness with them. And what can they do? It's actually quite simple. All they need to do is ask their external counsel to provide diverse lists of arbitrator candidates. Uh, and that puts the onus back on us, um, on those in private practice, to present a selection of arbitrator candidates that is equally capable, but also diverse. Um, and that's the aim, the aim that, we are, that we are focusing on. Um, and of course, the same rules apply to experts as well. So again, it is up to council to propose diverse lists of expert candidates. And this has very recently gained traction with the sister pledge that we've mentioned. Um, we are working with the pledge as well to launch here in the Middle East um, and uh, again, raise awareness of the fantastic uh, experts that we have uh, that are female um, and that are available as candidates, but maybe are lesser known. So that's what we're working on with the ERI pledge as well. So hopefully we'll see some real change um, in respect of diversity with respect to experts as well. No, that's great. And it's really interesting to hear about all the great work you're doing for both pledges. One of the things that I think has been particularly interesting over the past few years, really since the pledge came about, is this increase in le the level of awareness that you're speaking of. And I know GAR recently published a what's called the Compendium of Unicorns. Uh, and it's a list of 176 female arbitrators that's been kind of widely disseminated amongst arbitration practitioners. And I think guides like that are really important 
because they raise awareness of names that perhaps might not otherwise be well known to practitioners and also to clients. Now that that's absolutely right, and um, it is all about raising awareness. The interest uh, is there. Um, all parties to the arbitration process are keen to make the change. They all understand the reasoning behind it. But it is um, very much about knowing capable candidates. Um, and and it, as I say, I think it's m even more of an issue with respect to experts, which is why the new uh, ERE pledge is um, an exciting development. So, yes, we will continue doing exactly that. Um, and one of the uh, initiatives that both pledges have been uh, considering or running is to uh, introduce female arbitrators or female experts to the community via events that are arranged for that purpose. So that's something to watch out for as well, because, yeah, they are really fantastic candidates, um, but they're just slightly less uh, well, uh, well known and, and therefore maybe um, you haven't come across them. But um, please do uh, watch out for these events and get to know them. Brilliant. Thank you, Antonia. So my next question then to you is a question that I'm asking all of my guests, which is who is a role model or mentor in your career who you think embodies the theme of embracing equity? Well, thank you very much for that question. And I um, think it is extremely important to have these role models and mentors in your career and um, whoever you speak with really will tell you what, what an impact it has made on people's careers. And certainly I was very lucky to have somebody like that in my in my very initial role um, as soon as I moved here uh, to the Middle East and was working in a, um, a, a large disputes team. I, I did have a the fortune of working with a very impressive uh, woman who was a mentor to me in all ways, uh, whether it's substantive or, or, or not. Um, and I was uh, very lucky, as I say, to have somebody like that because you need to be able to look up to somebody who sort of walked the path um, and is able to help smooth the path for you. And, you know, my, my mentor, for example, was quite innovative in that sense uh, that even early on uh, 10 years ago, so uh, in the Middle East, she would uh, write to conferences and complain if they didn't have enough female representation on them, for example, and was very supportive also with respect to any um, internal uh, issues that kind of came across various team members um, on our team, whether it was men or women. Um, and I think that's, you know, that, that, that's, that's really lucky to have somebody like that in your career. So I'm very fortunate in that regard. No, absolutely. That kind of internal and external activism is exactly what, what we need in the community. Well, thank you very much, Antonia. It's been great speaking with you today. So next up, I'm delighted to be here with Joyce Fong, counsel in our Singapore office in the Energy and Natural Resources Group, focusing on international arbitration matters in the Asia Pacific region. Hello, Joyce. Hi, Lucy. It's great to be here chatting with you today. No, thank you so much for taking the time. So... My question to you, Joyce, is what can all IA practitioners do to embrace equity? So I came up with three A's in response to your question. Um, the first A um, is awareness. So obviously the first step in embracing equity is being aware and mindful of the need for equity and how that's different from equality. 
So we, we cannot simply give everyone the same resources and opportunities. We need to ensure that everyone has what they need to get to the same outcome. So it's not just a matter of making sure that everyone has access to you know the same resources or clueer, clueer arbitration um, or to Gary Bond's textbooks. It's making sure that people know how to use the books um, and understand and you know and to use the literature in the say in, in the right manner so that they are getting the right law out of um, the resources that they have available to them. The second A that I came up with um, is afraid. So, you know, if you're aware of the need for equity, then you know, we should not be afraid of um, widening the playing field, uh, which, will, which will come naturally when there is equity amongst IA practitioners. So if we embrace equity, we are creating a more diverse pool of arbitrators and IA practitioners. In theory, it should mean that an overall increase in the standard of arbitrators um, and colleagues against whom you are acting. And that should mean more efficient and effective means of obtaining justice um, for our clients. So all in all, a good result. So there's nothing to be afraid of um, embracing equity because Diversity is good and it should be embraced. Finally, my final A is for us to take action. So if we are aware of the need for equity and we are not afraid of what that brings, then naturally we shouldn't hesitate to take action. Uh, I don't think this needs to involve you know, grand gestures necessarily, um, such as signing up to pledges and you know, just taking such big steps, uh, which may be daunting to some people. I think that everyone can take little steps um, to embrace equity. So, for example, one practitioner may, may choose to volunteer to coach a team from a less developed legal system for the Vismut. Another practitioner may, um, before nominating an arbitrator, pause for a minute to consider whether he or she has considered candidates out of a sufficiently diverse pool, including perhaps lesser known names. And, you know, similarly, the organizers of an IA event, they might consider running the event in hybrid format so that you widen the access to a geographically diverse group of participants. I think that little gestures like this are doable and they're not too grand, not unrealistic, and cumulatively are little steps to enable us to achieve equity in the practice of IA. Thanks, Joyce. I think that's really interesting. And you mentioned a lot of external things that we can do and as you say they are little steps all in the right direction as you were speaking I was also thinking about some of the internal things that we should all be trying to do particularly you know as you get more senior in a law firm and I think that's when you know working with junior colleagues it's really important to have regard to their particular personal and professional circumstances and then tailoring your approach to how you work with them so so as to give them the level of support required and also to make sure that they can take advantage of the same opportunities as perhaps other colleagues to reach an equal outcome. So lots of internal and external steps that we can and should all be taking to embrace equity. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Joyce. Then my final question to you, and we all know how important mentors are for increasing diversity. So the question I'm asking everyone I'm speaking to is, who is a role model in your career who you think embodies the theme of embracing equity? So it's a difficult question you've asked me, um, Lucy, because I've been privileged to work with many people in the firm who embrace diversity, embrace equity. Um, And it's, it's hard to come up with, you know, one, one, only one person who embraces equity. 
I suppose the name that comes immediately to mind is uh, a partner in my office, um, Kiri Avagora. Um, he is an active champion in all things diverse. He, uh, he champions the, the cause of, of ladies, of you know, L- L- LGBT initiatives. And he's, he's great because he, he makes an active effort to, inclu- to make sure that, for example, teams of lawyers working on matters are diverse. Um, the tribunal is diverse. Um, panels of speakers in external events, that they are diverse. And even when we do client alerts, he makes the effort to ensure that we, we present a diverse group of authors. So I think this is a very conscious effort, uh, which, you know, involves some thought. And I think that's something that I very much look up to. And that's just so important, isn't it? Not just for affording people uh, opportunities as they're coming up and through through a firm, but I think also as a really setting an example to people as to how they should behave and how they should conduct themselves to ensure that we're all working towards equity. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you're in a way paying it forward. Um, so by watching someone, I then learn and hopefully make an effort to do the same and, and so on and so forth. Well, thank you very much, Joyce. Great to hear from you. And now I'm on to my next guest. See you, Lucy. I'm very pleased to be here with Alison Eslick. Alison's a senior associate in our Dubai office, and her practice focuses on commercial arbitration, particularly in the construction industry. Alison, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Lucy. So my question for you, Alison, is what changes have you seen in the course of your practice over the past few years? Oh, well, it's a very good question because I think I've seen a lot of changes in the past few years. Um, as you mentioned, I'm in the international arbitration space, uh, mainly in construction but also commercial. And something happened in 2016 which I think set a course for arbitration and gender diversity in my field. And that was, of course, the Equal Representation in Arbitration Pledge. And that was in 2016. And I think um, after that, I've just seen so many changes that relate back to, back to that event. And mainly it's around um, team habits. So now gender diversity in arbitration is really truly on the radar of everyone in, in my team and at Reed Smith. And so when it comes to appointing arbitrators, we, we're thinking actively about gender diversity and we're making sure that women candidates are put forward. And we're having conversations with our clients about the pledge and about our commitment and why it's important to include women amongst the candidates for arbitrators. And this has kicked off a discussion in other areas, Lucy. I think, um, you know, so clients are now obviously aware of this, but we're also thinking about gender diversity in terms of the experts, the technical experts that we're using, quantum delay, engineering experts that we're using on our matters. We're also thinking about gender diversity in our conferences that we do. So anytime we have a panel discussion, we're thinking, okay, we need to have some women on this panel. And it's just been wonderful. And I think it's even flown through to other things uh, in diversity, not just gender diversity, but also ethnic diversity and diversity around age of uh, people on arbitration panels and cultural diversity. So I I really think, um, you know, there have been so many positive changes in the past few years and, you know, it's growing 
it hasn't just dropped off the radar as something that happened in 2016. This is something that is just being talked about more and more. And it's such a good thing that it is. No, Alison, I completely agree. And I've definitely seen a marked change since I started practicing when it wasn't uncommon at all to go to a conference and have panels, all of men speaking for, you know, and multiple panels at a particular conference. And now I think that that's almost, I would hope, unheard of, certainly in the panel, in the conferences that I attend. Um, I think the other really interesting big change I've seen is diversity of arbitration tribunals. And I know ICSID has had a couple now of tribunals which have been all women. And I think that's, that's brilliant. And that's something that, you know, wouldn't have happened certainly five, 10 years ago. Excellent. And I also noticed that the Scottish Arbitration Centre in 2022 has actually changed their rules and they've now incorporated um, diversity into that, um, which is, which is you know, something I hadn't heard of and something that let's see if other arbitration centres uh, do the same. No, definitely. What a great example for other arbitration centres. So thank you, Alison. So my final question to you, and the question I'm asking all of my guests, is... Who's a role model or mentor in your career that you feel best embodies the Embrace Equity message? It's a very hard question because there are a few. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I could pick from men as well as women in terms, of, uh, in terms of this question. But I'd have to say, if I have to choose one, it's going to be Michelle Nelson, who's a senior partner in our Dubai office. And she is a senior partner practicing mainly in construction, which is also my area. And as you know, construction is, is one of the least gender diverse industries that we have for various reasons. And there are many challenges in that industry around stereotypes and sexism, um, even safety issues. So um, I really do look to her as a role model for someone who has succeeded uh, in, a, in a very difficult industry. So. It, uh, it sets the bar very high and it shows that it definitely can be done. Brilliant. Well, that's great to hear, Alison. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. My next guest is Mathilde Adon, an associate in our Paris office who focuses on international arbitration in the construction and energy sectors. Mathilde, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Lucie. It's a pleasure to be here. So my question for you for this International Women's Day is... What are the biggest challenges, perceived or real, to embracing equity in arbitration? So let's start with the positive. In my personal experience, at least in my current and previous teams, there has never been a lack of women associates. That being said, uh, this doesn't necessarily translate the further you move up the corporate ladder. There are less women partners in arbitration than associates, and even less who make it as arbitrators. And this has always struck me as quite odd, especially in light of the ever-increasing awareness of the need to promote diversity. Uh, For example, you just can't go to a conference without someone mentioning it. So what's happening here? Delving into this issue, in my experience, one of the biggest perceived challenges to embracing equity in arbitration is the belief that promoting equity can be a hindrance to efficiency and a case's best interests. Throughout my practice, I've seen my fair share of industries that continue to be dominated by, by, by men. For example, uh, in construction, it's uh, especially the case. In our day and age, this doesn't necessarily mean that clients are openly and willfully discriminating against women, but they simply have more experience working with men on a day-to-day basis. 
So they may perceive women as having less expertise in the industry. And an unfortunate consequence of that is when the time comes to nominate an arbitrator, even if they are presented with a list including women, they may be inclined to select male arbitrators simply on the basis that they think they will have more experience in the field. This perception can be difficult to change and uh, it creates a vicious circle as women arbitrators will have less appointments and experience than men. It also has an impact on representation and on the ability of young women to project themselves into the field in the years to come. So in my opinion, in order to address this challenge, we need to continue taking steps to increase the diversity of construction practitioners and arbitrators, but uh, this has been addressed before me by, by other speakers. Thanks, Mathilde. And I think another really interesting point which touches on something you've said is diversity of experts. And I know certainly there are certain industries, particularly technical experts, where I'm not familiar with any female experts who practice in that area. And I think that can be that lack of awareness, that lack of knowledge can itself be a block when you're putting together shortlists. Something I think is really helpful is having female experts and arbitrators speak at conferences about topics that aren't necessarily just about diversity, but about their area of expertise. And that just helps people put a name to a face. It gives people some awareness of that particular practitioner and their their area of expertise and how they practice so that when they see their name on a shortlist as either arbitrator or expert, they have a familiarity with that particular individual. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So my closing question for you then, Mathilde, is who is a role model or mentor in your career that you feel best embodies the embrace equity message? Um, that's a great question, and uh, it's a good opportunity to paint a brighter picture of the legal world that uh, my previous answers may, may have suggested due to the theme. So I'm lucky to have been surrounded by brilliant women in, in my career, and the, the first person uh, who came to my mind uh, when hearing your question is a lawyer who I met during my first legal internship in a law firm in Chicago. So I was, I was very young, I was from a foreign country, and I wasn't a native speaker, um, a native English speaker. And despite this, she welcomed me into the firm and she immediately made me feel like a valued member of the team, uh, giving me responsibility, allowing me to, to make contribution to sensitive cases. And this was a, a very important factor in my decision to become a lawyer. And I think those people that we meet during our formative years when we're just starting out are so important for how, we, for how our careers progress um, and for kind of getting those opportunities. Yeah, that's very true. Well, thank you so much, Mathilde. It's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks for having me. And my final guest today is Cherie Lung, an associate in our Hong Kong office whose practice includes commercial cross-border arbitrations. Hello, Cherie. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me. So my question for you, Cherie, is what other arbitration-wide initiatives would you like to see happen in the future? Well, with the advancement of technology these days, I hope to see more green initiatives in the arbitration community in the future. Um, whilst in-person hearings may still be the preferred way to conduct proceedings, we are actually beginning to see more arbitrations that have adopted the use of virtual hearings, or at least hybrid hearings, and e-bundles, especially in international arbitration settings in the past few years. Um, when it was not possible to travel or physically attend the hearing during the COVID pandemic. 
It was around that time, I think, the arbitration community started to realize that it could do without physical papers and hard copies and became more willing and open-minded to green initiatives in arbitration. Arbitrators and arbitration centers became more adaptive and receptive to using technology and virtual hearings to reduce the need to serve hard copy bundles by courier, traveling back and forth for hearings. Not only does this increase the efficiency of the conduct of arbitral proceedings, it also does good for the environment by significantly reducing carbon emissions. So I think as the field gains more experience in conducting green arbitrations, um, the knowledge can be shared amongst professionals, so it will become easier in practice and norm in the long run. I understand that there is an initiative called the Campaign for Greener Arbitrations, which aims to reduce the environmental impact of international arbitrations. And according to a study conducted by them, it takes up to 20,000 trees to offset the total carbon emissions resulting from just one medium to large scale arbitration. And taking into account certain um, standard carbon producing components, such as printing of submissions, long and short haul flights, train journeys, car journeys, hotel stays, it is astonishing how much carbon footprint we're making just by doing one arbitration. I understand this is also an initiative and a campaign that the firm is a supporter of since 2021. And I truly hope that um, more relevant players in industry can participate in promoting best practices for sustainable arbitrations to help reduce our carbon footprint and contribute to the conservation of the environment as a whole by choosing to be greener. No, I completely agree, Sheree. And I think that... Obviously, the global pandemic in some ways made inroads into arbitrations being much greener. I personally had a number of arbitrations which were conducted virtually. But I think it raises an interesting question of party collaboration. I recently did a hearing where we as Reed Smith, mindful of our commitments to the Green Arbitration Pledge, tried to avoid what we thought was unnecessary printing of hearing bundles. And we received significant pushback from the other side. So I think it's something where all the parties need to come together and and get on board uh, in order to really work in the future. Absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, well then my next question to you, which is the question I've asked all of my guests, is who is a role model or mentor in your career that you feel best embodies the Embrace Equity message? Um, I think for the Hong Kong office, I would think uh, Mei Wong, who's a partner and the DNE um, leading partner in the Hong Kong office. She leads by example by taking initiative in introducing different cultures, celebrating New Year's in the Indian culture, um, recognizing the Chinese culture and other festivals. But equally important is, um, I think we should learn from anyone that respects and celebrates differences and diversity and who are proactively thinking of ways that would make tools and resources available to everyone despite their diverse experiences. I think changing systemic and structural barriers that get in the way of people's ability to thrive is hard. But we should all do our part and at least be aware of the bias where it sometimes takes more for certain people to succeed due to difficult circumstances. 
To be aware of the bias often requires a conscious effort to put this in the forefront of your mind, especially when we are lucky to be in a relatively affluent society or a social circle. Great. Thank you so much, Cherie. It was really interesting to speak to you and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Lucy, for having me. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at reedsmith.com. To learn about the Reed Smith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the cost of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on reedsmith.com or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.